Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. Uh, there is no doubt today that as we dive into the scripture that Jesus has before us, that today's scripture encapsulates what is so great about those who wear the name Christian. But it also shows that it's one of the most difficult things to do. The bottom line is that Jesus tells all those who follow him to show his love to those who do evil. He tells us to show mercy to those who we consider our enemies. This is not a popular passage to many. You see, so when people, they want to think about what is fair and appropriate according to their understanding of what right and wrong is. But the problem is, is that our world, especially here in America, we have fallen so far left and right of what true biblical, true north is, that the moral compass is broken. And so what is fair to one person will not be seen as fair to another And as hard as it sounds, this is what sets believers apart from every other religion or cult, is how we handle our enemies. Better yet, how Jesus tells us to handle our enemies and how to handle retaliation and how to deal with that desire for revenge. And Jesus is going to teach us that because there is no greater reason for you and I to believe as believers, to call upon the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish what Jesus is setting forth to us. It is Him who gives us the strength to not respond in revenge. It is Him who gives us love for the unlovable. It is Him who allows us to contradict our sinful nature and our default to want to do wrong and harm to somebody. You see, we were born to hate. We were born to seek revenge. It's all because of original sin. Just as a child does not need to be taught how to lie and misbehave, it's just something within us. It is that curse that happened way, way back in the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve first fell. It is a result of the curse of sin. But this is why today we need Jesus. This is why His blood covers our wrongs so that we can forgive the wrongs of others. And I can go ahead and tell, there's people in here like, Preacher, you better move on because I ain't ready to forgive nobody today. Well, that's between you and the Lord. But I'm just going to tell you what Jesus says about it, and it just might set you free today. Not my words, but His. Because only by this can we love God and love others. So how do we deal with our enemies? The first thing that we see in the Scripture is that Jesus gives you the strength to suffer through hurt. Jesus gives you the strength to suffer through hurt. I look back in my life and I think of how in the world did I ever make it through this or this. And at the time, it was not pleasant. And still, memories of it are not very pleasant. But I stand here today, not as a preacher or as somebody that is better than you, but as a man who follows God that tells you 
I've seen this become true in my life. I've seen this come true for those that have been under my influence. I've seen that become true for those in my family and friends, and you have too. How do we get through the tough times? How do we suffer through the hurt, especially when someone has hurt us or someone we love? To be quite honest with you, I would rather somebody hurt me than hurt my wife. I know you that have children would rather somebody hurt you than hurt your children or grandchildren. That's one of the hardest things to do is when one of your loved ones is sick and you're the caregiver, you're like, I want to, I don't want to see this one hurting. But you know what? God sees hurting. God saw his son, Jesus, die for your sins and mine. He knows what suffering is. Jesus was a king and is the king of kings. But he also was a suffering servant. He says in verse 38, You have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Anytime you hear people out at the at the Walmart or your your favorite watering hole or wherever you may be where you gather with your friends and they'll be talking about revenge and retaliation, someone will always say, well, you know the Bible says, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Let's go get him. Let's go get his tooth. But the truth is, is that people stop when it says the next verse. But I say, Jesus says, but I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone steps slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek. If you sued, if you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands you to carry their gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. What can we see from that passage we can see a few things number one the law was set in place the eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth that law was set in place to protect believe it or not the offender that was put in place to protect the one who did the wrong because they wanted to make sure that if somebody did something wrong that whatever the punishment was it matched the crime to which they had committed It originated from Moses sharing God's law to the Israelites. And it was a fair law. And the intention of the law was to not only discourage people from committing bad crimes, but again, to protect the offender. And I know you're thinking, that cannot be true, but it is the truth. Believe it or not, God has a plan for those that are free, and God has a plan for those that are behind bars. God loves everybody just the same. And if you don't agree with that and you don't like that, then you need to talk to God about that. Because God's desire is not that anyone would be lost and perish, that everyone would be saved. And we see that the law also kept people from taking the law into their own hands. Do I need to go very far back in history to see where that has happened? Especially... In the South, where people would take the law in their own hands and do heinous crimes to people. That's not a time that we are proud of, is it? But we have seen what has happened when people disregard the word of God and the intent of the word of God. 
The law has also kept people, as I said, from taking the law into their own hands. It doesn't take long for us to look in history to see the things that have done. Has it ever worked out in your favor when you sought revenge? When you actually got revenge, did it ever work? Were you satisfied with that? Were you able to button that up and throw that away? Most of the time it does not happen. If Because it's the seed of that revenge. Because seeking revenge often causes us to do the same thing that we were, that was done to us. That when we seek revenge, we become what we hate. Now, revenge can be a scary thing. I remember back as a youth pastor, I had this rule, and this was a big rule. It was a no prank rule. Some of you are giggling because you've been on trips and you've seen where things have happened. Have any of y'all been a part of a prank war before? Oh, yeah, I know you have, buddy. Yeah, especially brothers or sisters, and, and some of you that are older, you might not remember, but you've been the victim of and probably perpetrated a few uh, pranks as well. But I had this rule that, that I would ask the parents to go through the luggage because there is no sixth grade boy that needs shaving cream in his luggage. If he's got shaving cream in his luggage, he's up to no good. But it never failed. Once group A got group B, group B wanted to get group A. So I would be trying to have a Bible study, trying to have worship, and they're sitting there passing notes and talking to their friends saying, we're going to get them after this Bible study. And the whole week became how to get each other back. And so all the spiritual, all the worship, all the things that God wanted to do were thwarted because of their what was seemingly cute, but it was dangerous and it derailed everything that God wanted from them because their hearts were set on revenge rather than on God. It is not cute. Those kids wasted their time in a prank war when God could have spoke to them. And that's why I was so passionate about stopping those things. It seemed harmless to them and to some of the adults, but that didn't make it any less lethal. Folks, they all remembered the pranks, but not the spiritual truths that were taught. So what that brings me to is my next point. Harboring revenge in your heart will harden it towards spiritual things. If you have revenge in your heart and you cannot let it go, right now you're like, preacher, please move on. This hurts too much. Or preacher, you don't know my situation. Or preacher, I'm just going to tone you out and think about the pot roast that's in the oven. But whatever you do, listen to me now. If you have revenge in your heart, you have no hope of receiving spiritual instruction from the Holy Spirit. You are grieving the Holy Spirit while you hold on to that desire for revenge. And it's not hurting that person that is the object of your revenge. It is hurting you. Again, we see Jesus taking an existing law and exposing the true meaning behind it. Jesus is not telling us to ignore the laws of our land. He's telling us to personally show love and grace to those who break the law. And that is exactly what the devil wants you to think, is that I can't do this. This is not fair. Let me show you this verse. 
John 10.10, very popular verse. Everybody focuses on the fact that it says that these purposes still kill and destroy. They gloss over that. But my purpose is to give a rich and satisfying life. Woo, praise the Lord, we're going to have a rich and satisfying life. Let's all go down and, and let's shake the money tree and let's, let's get everything that's, that's due to us because we are spiritual. We are going to get this satisfying, some translations say abundant life, more abundantly. Everybody skips by the fact that the thief's purpose is to steal, to kill, and destroy. My friend, there is an enemy that wants your children. There is an enemy that wants your marriage. There is an enemy that wants your grandchildren. There is an enemy that wants this church. There is an enemy that wants me. There is an enemy that wants you. His name is the devil and his one purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. And so if you have things in your heart that you are harboring that shouldn't be there, it is no different than having a cancer in your body that you won't let the doctor operate on. Revenge is a big deal. And the thing is, is that he talks about if someone slaps you on the face, turn the other cheek. Turning our cheek may hurt in the moment, but we will be rewarded eternally. What does that mean? To turn the other cheek means we have to take a stand. At some point, we have to stand and take what the people are giving out. And you say, hey, preacher, I've turned the cheek and I turned the other cheek. I ran out of cheeks. And so they got a dose of what they had coming to them. I only got two cheeks. This saying came from an idea that when someone would be smacked in the face by the back of the hand publicly, that would be rude. That would be uh, open them up for uh, liability and they could be taken to court. Today we call it assault, (laughs) and it is still something that can land you in a big heap of trouble. But no one likes the thought of being hurt or taken advantage of, do you? Woo, I'm a believer. I want to suffer. I, I want to be that guy that has to turn the other cheek. No, we're not saying that. Like I said earlier, I've heard people justify their sinful actions because they said they ran out of cheeks. Then he starts talking about to go the extra mile. To go the extra mile takes humility and effort. That verse actually came from the fact that when an occupying force would be in a land and they would be carrying their gear, if they saw somebody from that country, they would say, hey, you carry this stuff. And so that's literally what he's saying. That Look, if a Roman soldier asks you to carry his backpack or carry his supplies, You don't carry it one mile, you carry it two. That takes humility. That takes commitment. Going the extra mile for someone you know does not appreciate it, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, it's tough. But either way, you will be the one that receives the blessing. And it just may be the one thing that makes a difference in that person's life. Which tool is the most valuable tool in your tool chest? I know some of you are thinking, well, i got this multi-tool that will do just about anything. No. The most valuable tool in your tool chest is the one that you use on a constant basis. And our tools in seeking revenge, our tools in wanting to make it right in our own mind, need to be humility, love, grace, and mercy. Because Christian love 
you know, we all want to say, let's all get around and sing Kumbaya. Kumbaya, my Lord, Kumbaya. Oh, yeah, we can have a good old service here and, and talk about how good Jesus is and how good we are. But that's not the Christian life. What is the Christian life? The Christian life is love. And Christian love is an act of the will, not an emotion. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, if we get the right songs and the right band and the right people here, we'll have a, a few minutes of some good old Southern Gospel uh, cathedrals and McCamies and the, the Gaith of Trio Band. And all. Well, you'll have a good old time. And then we'll get some other stuff for the younger folks. And we'll all, we'll, we'll just get worked up into a fever of praising the Lord in the church. And then we will go out and it will fall flat in the parking lot. Because it's not about the hype. It's about the will. And Christian love is about your will. Why do you love your family? Because you decide to. Because you will yourself to. Even when they do dumb things. You love them because you Will that. Think about Jesus. He was unjustly tried for a crime he did not commit. He was beaten. He was spat upon. He was called names. And he was ridiculed. And why did he let all that happen? Because he chose to. Folks, at any moment, he could have called a legion of angels to rescue him. He could have turned everybody into charcoal briquettes. But he chose to honor his father's will. It amazes me that the power Jesus had that he disregarded for you and for me. It was an act of his will. And by the way, before his death and resurrection and his offer of salvation, you know what? You were an enemy of God. I was an enemy of God. Look at this verse in Romans 5.10. It says, For since your friendship with God was restored by the death of the Son, while we were still His enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of His Son. When Jesus died for you, you were an enemy of God. So if Jesus could die for you as an enemy of His, why do you think He's saying in this passage, We need to love our enemies. I'll go ahead and tell you, from a human standpoint, there are some people I don't like, but I love them. And I can't explain that, but those of you that know that, you know what I'm talking about. These are not people that you're going to call over and have coffee with, but at the end of the day, if they need you and they call you, you're going to be there for them. You're going to pray for them. The second thing that we see is that loving your enemies will strengthen your faith. (laughs) there are some people that God will put in your life as sandpaper just to knock your rough edges off. And I know some of you have got that person in your mind right now. Stop it. But no, we do. God allows people in our life to make us practice this stuff. It says in verse 43, You have heard the law that says, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you in the way you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both evil and good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. So if you love only those who love you, what rewards is there for that? Even a corrupt tax collector can do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. 
but you are to be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. What we find here, when we talk about enemies and we talk about hate, we see that hatred is not taught. It is inbred. Hatred is not taught. It is inbred. There are no laws from the Bible in which it tells us to hate one another. There is nothing that says hate your brother or sister. And the thing is is that the volume of hate is so loud these days, it is more difficult than ever to hear anything but hate. You turn on the news, there's hate. You read your newspaper, there is hate. You read your Facebook feed, there is hate. You read all of these things, there is hate everywhere, and you're so tempted to jump in. Like, I'm, I don't know, but I'm sure that there are some Clemson fans that are rubbing it into Gamecock fans today. And there are some Gamecock fans that are responding to that. And it's not all beneficial. It's a football game. It's a football team. There is no reason for hate among those things. Our nation has started to focus on what divides us rather than unites us. So that we have believers that know that hatred is inbred. We know that we can fight that because a Holy Spirit believer who loves their enemies can go counter to culture and make a difference. If the world is filled with hate and you show those who hate love, you are bucking the system. You are fixing a broken world. If nothing else, you are fixing your world. Also, love is not only loving those who are lovable. The law Jesus is quoting here came all the way back from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. You see, the Pharisees interpreted this law as they should love only those who love in return. And Jesus says, we are to love your enemies. Bottom line, folks, let Jesus handle your enemies. If you've got enemies, if you've got people, if that person is just, the back of your neck is tensing up because you're thinking about them, let Jesus handle them. Also, loving your enemies will dial down the drama in your life. My friend, if you have drama in your life, This is a surefire way to get rid of it. I've said this before. I'll say it again. I remember when a teenager told me, there's so much drama in my life on Facebook. I can't stand it. Well, get off of Facebook. No, I can't. All my friends are on there. It's not like kids aren't even on Facebook anymore. They're in other places. but. But the truth is, look, if you've got drama in your life, get rid of it. You say, well, preacher, I can't. Maybe you can't. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a situation that was thrust upon you and you can't dial down the drama in your life. I'll tell you what, you don't have, you can't, may, may not be able to get rid of it, but you can lower the volume of it. Because think about the last time none of you in here would have done this. But I remember back when I was a teenager and I would argue with my mother. It's, it's always great on a Sunday when I would argue with my mother after church. And you know how an argument goes, don't you? And then it's wide open and you're in full volume and somebody walks in. What in the world is going on here? Folks, that is what happens in life. 
If we keep giving drama to the drama, we are feeding it and we are building and we are escalating it. And Jesus gives us some great examples here. If you want to dial down the drama in your life, I encourage you to go to your Bibles and read Proverbs 25, 21 through 22, but I'll read it for you. It says, if your enemies are hungry, give them food to eat. If they are thirsty, give them water to drink. And here's the kicker. 22 says, you will heap burning coals of shame on their head and the Lord will reward you. How do you dial down the drama in your life? You love on your enemies. Yes, if you respond to drama with more drama, it'll only escalate the situation. Any first responder will tell you the first thing that they try to do when they arrive on the scene is to stabilize the situation and to de-escalate the situation. That's what we need to do in our relationships. Also, loving your enemies is powered not by your goodwill and not by your good charms and not by a great Facebook quote, but it is by prayer. I wish I could give you a one, two, three step program, but Jesus spells it out for us. He says in the second half of 44, pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you are acting as true children of God. So how do you get back at your enemies? You pray for them. That may not change them, but it will change the way you see them. Prayer may not change them, but it will change you. But I guarantee you, if you're praying, it's a whole lot better than you trying to carry it on your own. Yes, we pray for those who persecute us, and we will always have enemies. One of my favorite verses, the the big question is, why does God let good things happen? Or excuse me, why does God let bad things happen to good people? Here's one verse I always go to, where it says, In verse 45, the second half, for he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. What is that translated into? Life stinks. Life is, this world is dying every day and things are going to be thrown at you whether you are a believer or not. Christians will get cancer. Christians will go broke. Christians will get murdered. Christians will get involved in drunk driving accidents. Christians will take their lives just as those who do not know Jesus. But the thing is, those of us who have Jesus Christ in our life, when the rain falls in this world, God is our umbrella. That is what we have. We will always have enemies. You will always have that person that is sandpaper in your life. And finally, our mission as a church and our call as believers is that we are connecting lives with God and others. Yes, God called us to love God and love people, even those we don't get along with. He says in verse 48, But you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. As citizens of this world, we are to follow its laws and suffer the consequences. As believers in Jesus, we are to be better and not bitter. We are to be defined by our love, not how we get even. We will be defined in how we treat our enemies. 
So if you are here today and you have a desire for revenge, I pray that you give that to God today. Quit carrying it because it has become a burden that is too heavy. Or if you have some enemies and you're wanting to know how to deal with them, look back in this passage and know that the best thing you can do is pray for them. And if you need help, get somebody to pray with you for them. It may not change them. It will change you definitely. But it just may change them. I am here today because of the prayers of a praying mama. Many of you are here today because of the prayers of a praying mama, a daddy, a grandfather, a grandmother, a pastor. You are here today because of prayer. So don't think that God doesn't hear them. God, thank you so much for this service today. Lord, it's my prayer that if there is anybody here carrying these burdens that is heavier than they can bear. Maybe they don't know you as their Savior and Lord. They can get forgiveness. They can get those burdens taken off of them if they give them to you by making you their Savior and Lord, by saying that they have messed their life up on their own and they want to ask you to come into their life to forgive them of their sins and to have your Holy Spirit help them live from this day forward. They can come down front. I will pray with them. Maybe there might be someone that wants to join the church. Whatever it may be, Lord, this time of offering and invitation is for you, Lord. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?